Well, good morning again, church. Thank you so much uh, for gathering. Thank you for bringing the church into whatever space uh, you're in this morning in uh, your dining room, your living room, wherever you happen to be watching this. And thanks for inviting us into uh, those spaces as well. If you're somebody that's new to Crosspoint and we've never been able to be introduced in person, my name is Jamie. It's my great joy and privilege to serve as one of the pastors at Crosspoint. And uh, it's my joy to be able to open up God's word uh, with you all this morning as we continue uh, this series called Formed. And the idea here is we're looking at a different spiritual practice and yet sometimes, if we're honest, when we think about those things, it can be highly individualistic. Like, okay, well, what about just me and my relationship to Jesus? And as important as that is, there also is, instead of just this vertical relationship between you and God, there's this horizontal implication that goes out to your neighbor. And so we're talking about practices of love for the life of the world. And so the one we're gonna get into this morning is something that I think, oh man, like I know I desperately need and I believe like all of us need. And so it spills out like out into the broader community and it's centered on this idea, all right? So maybe we'll get at it this way. So uh, even though I can't see you, show of hands if you are weary, a little worn out, a little tired. All right. So I am guessing uh, that most of you did raise your hands and those of you that didn't, you're probably just lying, all right? And so the reality is we feel this exhaustion and it was present pre-pandemic, but it has been exacerbated. It is heightened. We feel this and God in his grace and his goodness has invited us into a practice that down through the ages, it's known as this practice of Sabbath. And so this morning we're gonna look at renewed resting, specifically then the practice of Sabbath. Now, I don't know what comes to mind for you when you think about this, all right? Maybe there's just some confusion with it. You're not exactly sure. We're going to hopefully kind of tease some of that out, unpack it a bit, because there's some misconceptions about this, all right? There are a lot of misconceptions even amongst the Jewish people in the time of Jesus, that they would go to such extremes rather than receiving it as the gift that it was and the gift that it is, it became this burden, because in an attempt to make sure that the, the Sabbath was kept properly and not realizing that it's just this gift that the Lord has given to us, what would end up happening is they created all these extra rules and regulations and laws. In fact, there were 39 restrictive sort of practices to make sure that you didn't violate the Sabbath. And some of them would make sense. Some of them were good things to keep us from working, but then it would just get to the level of ridiculousness. Like how many times you could tie or loosen a knot. So imagine telling your kids, oh, sorry, you tied your shoes one too many times, done, don't do it anymore, you're in violation of the Sabbath. How many stitches you could do if you're stitching something. I mean, just all kinds of extreme things uh, that would take place. Now, my growing up experience wasn't like that. Uh, it wasn't that extreme, but I do remember as a kid thinking, uh, it's Sunday. Typically, we know that as the, the day of Sabbath. Um, and part of that was because we'd start the day out with Sunday school, and then we'd go to church, all right? And then there wasn't a whole lot you were necessarily allowed to do um, throughout the, the afternoon because you had to get ready to go back to evening church, all right? And so I just felt like, man, Sunday is the most boring day of my week. And so even growing up, I was like, this is just robbing me of opportunity to go out and be with my friends and play basketball or do whatever I wanted to do. But I missed it. Like the reality is Sabbath is a great gift that the Lord has given to us. So that's what we're gonna explore together this morning. Um, just to let you know too, uh, normally we have message notes that are at cpwp.life. The site may be up working now. It was down a little bit earlier, but in case it is back up and going, go to cpwp.life and you can follow along with any of the slides that I present. We're gonna be in a few different texts this morning. So I wanna invite you right now, let's just pray and ask the Lord 
ask the Spirit to illuminate our minds and our hearts. And so wherever you're at, would you pray this prayer with me that you see on the screen? Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace through Christ our Lord. Amen. So what we need to do, if we're going to talk about Sabbath, if we're going to talk about rest, if we're going to talk about really this gift, this invitation that the Lord has given to us so that we might actually find that deep rest. And it's more than, it includes a physical rest, but it goes deeper than that. We got to go all the way back to the beginning. So if you got a Bible, go to Genesis chapter two. All right, so all the way back to the very beginning. And we get this story of how God has created the world. And there's this rhythm, there's sort of this cadence to it. There's this beat as God describes, all right, we get the, the author describing how God has actually been at work. And there's this rhythm where it says there was evening and there was mourning. And even that is a fascinating insight that down through the ages, like Jewish commentaries and Jewish theologians, and uh, to this day, many will say that distinction is even important. We tend to think of the start of our day as what? Morning, and then we eventually retire to the evening. But the biblical narrative even starts, there was evening and then there was morning. There's this, there's this idea here that we start and we do, we start our day by going to sleep. Like your day starts when you lay your head down on the pillow and then you wake up, all right, and you work from that place of rest. That's how the gospel story is, that we don't earn anything, that we work, we do our work unto the Lord, not to earn anything, but from the rest that has been secured for us. And so what's really fascinating, go to Genesis chapter two, we'll look at the first three verses. And if you don't have a Bible, again, go to cpwp.life, you can look on the message notes, but I'll also put them up on the screen this morning. But hear this, this is the conclusion. After all the days of creation, it says this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So what's really interesting is we see the God of the universe who's just made everything. He's created the, the whole world, the whole universe, including humanity. It says he rested on the seventh day. That our Lord like actually has this idea of Sabbath. It's like it's built into the very fabric of the universe. Now, it raises the question, right? Like, was God worn out and he's tired? Imagine if it's like, oh yeah, I can understand, man. You made the whole universe in six days. You gotta be worn out. Maybe he needs a nap. That's not it at all. God is God. He is not tired. He is not fatigued. He's not like you and I where we get to the end of the day and we're just like stumbling into bed like, oh my gosh, I'm so worn out. Rather for him, it's this stepping back and it's being deeply satisfied with what he actually has created. And in that then, there's an invitation for us to rest, to find our satisfaction in all that the Lord has provided for us, ultimately to find our rest in Christ. That is where our identity comes from. But we'll get to that in just a moment. I love the way uh, uh, Walter Brueggemann said in Sabbath as resistance, all right? And uh, he says this, um, Yahweh, speaking of God here, is a Sabbath-keeping God, which fact ensures that restfulness and not restlessness is at the center of life. Yahweh is a Sabbath-giving God and a Sabbath-commanding God. Sabbath becomes a decisive, concrete, visible way of opting for and aligning with the God 
of rest. And so when we engage in this practice of Sabbath, when we receive it as the gift that it is, we are aligning ourselves with how the world was created to work, to function. We are aligning ourselves with God's good design. And when we don't engage in this practice, we are living contrary to how God designed things to work. And I would put before you that much of your exhaustion, that my exhaustion, the cultural exhaustion that exists is because we haven't actually unwrapped and embraced this gift that God has given to us. I have to wonder oftentimes too, like what kind of witness do we have as the church where we're just as exhausted as everybody else? What if we could be a group of people that put on display what it looks like to be deeply satisfied and not constantly try and pursue things to make ourselves feel better, to prop ourselves up. And so the Lord is inviting us into that. Now, if we were to continue though in this Genesis story, we know in Genesis two, all right, God rested. Everything's amazing. Everything's harmonious. It's what the Hebrew scriptures speak of as the shalom. Everything just kind of webbed together. But by Genesis chapter three, we only have to go like a page over, all right? We're one chapter over and we know that Adam and Eve, what ends up happening is there's this restlessness. So instead of resting in God and enjoying what he has given to them, they believe the lies of the serpent that somehow God's holding out on them and they reach for the fruit and they partake and everything begins to spiral out of control. And it goes from a place of deep and abiding rest to a place of chaos and of restlessness. And this is the story that continues to play out. And so I believe that the scriptures, right? I mean, they are true because, I mean, this is historically what has happened, but they're also true because we continue to see this story over and over and over again. Let me put before you this idea that there's a restlessness that we begin to see as the Genesis story continues on through the scriptures and on really into life. And then what emerges is the lie of meritocracy. What I mean by that is something begins to shift in us where we think, okay, now it's up to me to do, to earn, to impress. And it leaves us in this place of exhaustion, even when there's some bravado. Like if you continue to read, you get into Genesis chapter four and we, we meet a man named Lamech who actually does these horrible things. And then he basically writes a worship song to himself and invites other people to sing it. I mean, it's all about what he is doing, but it doesn't bring Life And this sad, sad narrative and story continues to play out. And so we're left with this spot of like, okay, there was this moment of deep satisfaction of deep rest and now there's this restlessness. And what we find ourselves living in is this story of you've got to do, you've got to earn this meritocracy of like, are you going to compete? Are you going to outdo, out earn, out hustle the next person? But God in his kindness and his grace takes a group of people and says, not only are you slaves in Egypt, as we talk about the people of Israel, they eventually get to that spot, but bigger than that, they're slaves to sin. And God reminds them of their identity. So look with me, if you got a Bible, go over to Deuteronomy chapter five. And here is where we get the 10 commandments. And we're gonna look at commandment number four, which has to do with the Sabbath, all right? Now, again, the order is important. Notice what has happened. When does God give the law? God gives the law after he's rescued God's people out of Egypt, out of slavery. He didn't give them the law and say, all right, I got 10 things for you. You do these 10 things. If you do well on them, if you pass the exam, if you engage in this kind of merit-based view of the world, then maybe I'll free you. That's not how it goes. God rescues, God redeems, God leads them out. And then he says, hey, let me remind you of who you are. Now, these words, I'm gonna read these right now because it, is an invitation, 
not just for the people back then, but it's an invitation, it's a command that the Lord has given, not only to the people then, but to us as well. Again, not to earn the affections of God, but a way to live into the identity that God has secured for us. So beginning in verse 12, it says this, observe the Sabbath day and to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now listen to this. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Do you see the horizontal implications to this? Again, this practice isn't just so you can rest up and feel good about life, but it has implications. And if you've got people in your life that you have some level of influence over, whether that be people that work for you, in your family dynamics, like it's, hey, let's rest. Like don't heap things upon them as well. Like you rest, they rest, let's engage in this practice. It says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Therefore, it's this life that is based on God's work. So remember. Now, what's so fascinating as we look at this text is that you've got to remember who it was written to. It's written to a group of people who all they had known for hundreds of years, generation upon generation, their descendants and they themselves had been slaves in Egypt. It was to make bricks. It was to pile them. It was to build them into the pyramids and the other structures there in Egypt to honor their supposed gods. And they were engaged in this back-breaking labor. That was their life. They were, it was a life that was all centered on, you are just what you produce. They weren't viewed as image bearers. They weren't viewed as worth, full of worth and value and dignity, but rather it was like, you're this thing, you're not even fully human, and your call is to serve this other Pharaoh who believed himself to be a god. So that's the story they're coming out of it. Now, when we get these words, here's what's happening. God is reminding them with this practice, it isn't just to engage in this because he's like, well, I gotta give you something to do. It's rather this weekly reminder to take 24 hours to stop and remember this truth. The regime has changed. You're under a new Lord, a new God, a new King. There was one that treated you a certain way in Egypt that didn't see you as an image bearer, didn't see you full of worth and value and dignity, made in the image and likeness of God. You were simply what you produced. And if you couldn't produce, you were killed, you were cut off, you were discarded, you were of no value. Now we think that's extreme, but Let's be honest, that story continues to play out, that we tie our value to how we can produce and how we hustle and how we work and, and what we can create and how much income we can earn. Now, it's not bad to work hard. We're gonna look at that next week. But can we be honest for a moment? That same drive that where identity gets caught up and we are what we produce. God is saying, that regime has changed. You're under a new king, you're under a new Lord, and you don't have to prove anything anymore. Again, in his book, Sabbath as Resistance, he says this, Walter Brueggemann says, so imagine, this is the context, says Moses, and he's the one who's written what we read here in Deuteronomy, says Moses at Sinai, you who engage in production and consumption 
are not little replicas of anxiety-driven Pharaoh. You are in the image of the creator God who did not need to work to get ahead, nor do you. God invites the ones at Sinai to a new life of neighborly freedom in which Sabbath is the cornerstone of faithful freedom. Such faithful practice of work stoppage is an act of resistance. He continues, it declares in bodily ways that we will not participate in the anxiety system that pervades our social environment. We will not be defined by busyness, by acquisitive, by acquisitive, I can't even talk right now, acquisitiveness, I can't say that word. Anyway, and by pursuit of more in either our economics or our personal relations or anywhere in our lives because our life does not consist in commodity. You have a choice. We can either believe the lie that you are what you produce, you've got to earn, you've got to do, or you say, ah, that's the way of Pharaoh. That's the way of death and destruction and devastation. There's a new king. There's a new Lord. I'm invited to actually rest because he's done it all. I don't have anything to prove. And so let me ask you, like what regime are you submitted to? Are you still living under the lie, under the oppression that you've got to do, that you've got to acquire, that you've got to prove? Or are you living under the regime, under the rule and reign of Jesus that actually brings rest? And Jesus spoke of this, like he warned us of this. He, he tells a parable, the parable of the sower where seeds of the gospel are going out and they're, they're, they're sown. And some is like snatched away by the birds and, and some of the, the seed um, actually grows up very, very quickly, but then there was no like good soil and it kind of withers out. But then he speaks specifically of things that will actually choke out life. Like, here's what I need you to see and for me to see. I gotta be reminded of this. Like, we don't live in like neutral territory. You and I inhabit, we live in a very, very dangerous place. And what I mean by that is there are all these things that are competing for our affection, for our desires, trying to shape us into particular types of people, actually trying to get us to live under the regime of Pharaoh that we would just work and work and work and that we were defined by what we produce and so that we can actually acquire more. And Jesus says, that is no way to live. Pay attention, pay attention to the world that you and I inhabit because if we're not careful, that narrative, it'll just like, we'll just get caught up in it. It's like the tide and we'll just, it'll just carry us out. Jesus says this in Matthew 13, he says, as for what was sown among thorns, and he begins to describe it. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. When we live according to that old regime, that old Lord, that's what's happening. When we get caught up in the deceitfulness of riches and just the cares of the world, it begins to choke us. Think about maybe this image, all right? And so maybe you've used this in trying to, to train a, a pet, all right? I'm guessing a dog. I don't know if this would work anybody else, but maybe you put the choke collar on. If you're like, oh, that's terrible, then I never did it, all right? We don't use the e-collar either, as far as you know, all right? So anyway, um, but imagine for a moment, like you've got that scene or maybe you've seen this and the dog in its excitement, it pulls forward. That is a picture of you and I. We've got the choke collar on. Now we're invited to simply like walk alongside our master to walk along, to enjoy the walk. But we are like, no, no, we've got to go. And the more you push and the more you strive and the more you lunge ahead, the more it chokes out your life. That's what Jesus is describing. He's like, you're like that dog on the leash and you 
could actually be enjoying things, but rather you push and you push and you push and it chokes things out. My brothers and sisters, the, the scriptures are inviting us into a light that is actually life, not that sort of regime under which you're defined by what you produce. And so Sabbath then is this invitation for us to participate in this practice that we would be reminded of like who we are, what Christ has accomplished for us. So I wanna talk very practically for a few moments here, something over the years, I've read numerous books on Sabbath and lots of different people talk about this. And I was reading a, a new book over the past week by John Tyson and in the, there's a chapter, he's a pastor up in New York City. There's a chapter on Sabbath and he defined things. He said, there's these four R's. And so it's alliteration. I was like, this is amazing. And so I, I've got to do it. And I, I, so got to give credit to where credit is due. These things I found to be very helpful, just sort of handles of how we can think through Sabbath. So if you're wondering like, okay, Sounds great. I don't want to be striving. I don't want to be like choking. You know, I want to actually experience life. Like, what does it actually look like? And so four things. There's a call to resist. There's a call to rest, a call to remember, and a call to revel. So let's spend a few moments on each of those things because there's this invitation for us to participate. And so the first thing I put before you, be intentional and work to find a 24-hour period of time. For many of you, that is going to be the day that we're on right now. That is Sunday, all right? Historically, that would be the understanding. Now, your schedule may not be as such. You're gonna have to find another 24-hour period. I, that's personally my story, all right? Um, you know, this is kind of a work day, all right? And so what does it look like to still get Sabbath? So find a 24-hour period of time. The first thing is resist. Quite simply, walk away from work. Our tendency is to want to take that home with us. And some of you are like, what do you mean take it home? Like it is at home now. Like I've been assigned to work from home maybe forever. All right. So it's going to be even, there's new challenges and new realities, all kinds of things. But how do we actually shut that off? It is a constant, my wife would attest to this. It is a constant, um, almost burden or strain that happens. I tend to try and take Friday as a Sabbath. And usually the first part of the day, I'm pretty miserable and I'm pretty miserable to actually be around. And I think part of it as I examine that is I'm so used to working and I realize my identity is so tied up in the work that I do and producing and being productive and all of that. And so to actually stop, I feel like I just lost part of who I am. So I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but there's this call. So the first thing is to simply resist. And just what's gonna end up happening is it cultivates some things in us. When we resist, it reminds us that we're part of a story of grace, not of works. And it cultivates in us that we're part of a story of faith. It's faith that God is God, that God is on the throne, that God has things. Like one of the best things that you and I can embrace is we're not that big of a deal. You're not that important. I'm not that important. You wanna know why? Like you take 24 hours, guess what? The world doesn't fall apart. If God takes a day to just like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm done for 24 hours, things literally fall apart. I love the way Pete Scazzaro in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality speaks of this. He says, we stop on Sabbath because God is on the throne, assuring us the world will not fall apart if we cease our activities. Life on this side of heaven is an unfinished symphony. We accomplish one goal and then immediately are confronted with new opportunities and challenges. But ultimately, we will die with countless unfinished projects and goals. That's okay. 
Now for certain types, just breathe, all right? It's okay, like, oh my gosh, unfinished things, right? But that's the reality. He continues, all right? He says, God is at work taking care of the universe. He manages quite well without us having to run things. When we are sleeping, he is working. So he commands us to relax, to enjoy the fact that we are not in charge of his world. It's a key term, his world. That even when we die, the world will continue on nicely without us. Resist work. Resist work. Like you gotta start there. Now, the second R then is that we would rest. And so with this, I think we gotta look out for some particular counterfeits. So when you think rest, all right, maybe your image then is simply, well, I'm just gonna take a day off and it's all about relaxation. Sort of just this vegging out. I think that misses the heart of it. Now that doesn't mean there can't be times to enjoy a, a show that you wanna watch, that, can't be, that there can't be any of that. But sort of this picture of just like, I'm just binging show after show after show. You haven't moved from the couch in 11 and a half hours straight. That's not what it's speaking of. Like that's not the kind of rest that we're created for. In Exodus chapter 31, there's this really interesting insight talking again about Sabbath. And it says, it is a sign, speaking of the Sabbath, forever between me and the people of Israel. So this is God speaking, all right? That in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day, he rested. And then there's this new detail that emerges from some of the other passages we've read and was refreshed. That word means to sort of breathe out, to be renewed, refreshed, that there's this deep sense of like satisfaction. If that's the description here of God, like this is what I need. I need a deep, deep rest, not simply just, okay, ceasing from work. Like what are some of the things that will make my soul come alive? And these kind of build one to another as we look at these four R's. But think through some of these categories. Think about spiritually, physically, emotionally, intellectually, socially. Like what would it look like to rest spiritually? Like, hey, it's great to be on mission for the Lord. But guess what? He doesn't need you working all the time. So what would it look like to rest spiritually? What would it look like to physically rest? Like to actually take that nap. Maybe the most spiritual, like the best thing you could actually do today is go ahead and take a nap, all right? Like our bodies matter. We're not just these disembodied souls. Like your flesh and blood matter, all right? So pay attention to that. Like what would help renew you physically, emotionally? Get some space. And these were some of these other practices that we've talked about come into play, like silence and solitude, like to process. There's all sorts of things that have been coming at you to take time to emotionally process. My guess is, as you're binge watching Netflix, you're not probably emotionally processing things, right? Like, and so again, maybe enjoy that time but get some space to emotionally process intellectually. Like we are combated over and over again with the lies of the culture. And what would it look like just to step back and to remember, which gets us kind of into the next thing, like the true story. What is the truth socially? Now, I think there's a balance here. I think part of the ways we engage in renewal and rest and Sabbath is together with other people, but also there's, there are times where there's this pressure, isn't there? Like, you've got to be on, all right? You've got to mix it up. You've got to connect. You've got to do those things. Sabbath is an invitation to not be on. It doesn't mean you've got to isolate, not be with any people. But there's this invitation just to like, okay, I'm at a deep soul level, just resting in who I am in Christ. Get some time with, with friends. Get some time with people that actually help rest. 
This conversation happens between Heather and I quite often, even on those Fridays when sometimes I'm in a funk and she's like, hey, you actually don't need time by yourself right now. Like we need to get some time with people. Even that can be part of this renewal and this rest. And so here's a few questions maybe just ask yourself like, hey, when are you not available? What day do you not create anything? What day do you not write out lists of things to do? When is your cell phone off? When don't you check email? When are you not studying? What vacations do you have planned? All right few different things to be thinking through. And so we resist, we rest, we remember. Remember that you are loved and equally as important, remember that your neighbor is loved and you have an opportunity to love your neighbor. And so again, you're not what you produce. Sabbath cultivates in us. It reminds us of what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, like for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, all right? Like you've been saved by grace. You are loved by God. We've looked at that in, throughout the, this series. It's not about you earning anything. The meritocracy is a lie from the pit of hell. You are invited to rest in what Jesus has accomplished, his merit. Like that's what's been given to you. A.J. Swoboda said this, a pastor and author, he says, Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that we are not what we do, rather we are who we are loved by. Sabbath and the gospel scream the same thing. We do not work to get to a place where we finally get to breathe and rest. That is slavery. Rather, we rest and breathe and enjoy God that we might enter into rest. Paul speaks of this as we think about remembering. I think here's where kind of the social and the coming together. This is what's been part of the big challenge even with us not being able to gather together that for most of us, Sabbath is gonna be tied to that gathering. Like part of it is gathering as the church. It's not the only aspect of Sabbath, but what helps us remember, what helps us rehearse the gospel story is when we gather together and we sing songs that proclaim the story that we're part of, when we pray to God and we realize we have access to the finished work of Jesus that we can cry out to our father in heaven, that we can call him dad, that he cares deeply for us as his kids, when we would take communion and we remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, when we open up God's word and hear it proclaimed, it's this invitation. Again, this is the story. Remember, remember, remember. And that's been challenging, hasn't it? In this time, but this is again, even to whatever ways that we can via live stream, other things to fight for remembering, to make time to actually gather together, not in a legalistic way, like you can never miss a service, but to know and to recognize that part of God's gift to us to rest, to Sabbath well, is to be in an environment where we're reminded of the story. This is where Paul says in Colossians chapter three, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is a communal act, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What is he describing? He's describing a group of people that are coming together after just a brutal week and it's been hard and it's been difficult. We've taken shots. There's been things that have just been, it's been so hard to remember who we are and then we enter in with the people of God and we're like, oh, I can be who I've been created to be. I can remember the story that I'm part of. I love the way Kyle David Bennett in his book, Practices of Love, then talks about this in relation to loving and serving our neighbor, the way that God has designed things. So lest we think that Sabbath is just, okay, it's, it's you and Jesus getting some time. 
it also has implications out to your neighbor, to the members of the church body as well. He says, on the one day that God has consecrated for us to experience true rest, he commands us not only to relieve our neighbor of her tasks and responsibilities, but to gather in fellowship with her. What a counterintuitive idea and a countercultural practice. Being with our neighbor is not in conflict with our rest, nor is it ancillary to rest. Rather, it's central. This is why we gather. It's why part of Sabbath is gathering together as the church. Even if it looks different right now, this is part of what it looks like to remember. Now, the last R is this. It's revel, all right? And a way to think about it is go ahead, stack some pleasures. It was a phrase that Tyson used in the book. He's like, I like to just stack as many pleasures on top of one another in Sabbath. And so it takes intentionality. It's thinking through, like, what things do I enjoy? What would be fun? What would be life-giving? Like, there should be this sense, like, we're almost like salivating, just thinking about, oh, I can't wait until the next Sabbath rolls around. I've got this list of things, not in a, like, list of things I've got to do, but just like, there's so many things that I get to enjoy. I don't know what it's going to be for you, but wouldn't that be a fun thing to think through? Instead of the list of like tasks that you've got to do, think of the list of the things that are life-giving. Like what pleasures can you stack one upon another and figure out those things? And then know you're invited into that. This is, this is what we've been seeing throughout this series. Like God is a God who takes great delight in us, even enjoying the things that he's given to us. This is why Isaiah would write as he looks ahead to this feast that one day we're gonna enjoy. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. How about this? On Sabbath, like start practicing for the ultimate Sabbath rest that you're gonna get to enjoy one day in the future. Have that meal, whatever it is that you enjoy. Figure those things out. God is not anti those things. God is inviting you into that. It's where Paul would continue after he literally just said in Colossians 3.16 about gathering in this, uh, this church environment to gather for worship and to sing songs and to have the word proclaimed. He follows it up and he says, you know what? Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I don't know what pleasures you're going to stack, but what an invitation. You get to think through that this week. You get to plan for those things. If you're like, I'm not much of a planner. Well, in the moment, like whatever things like, come on, like, ooh, we get to do this. We've got some space to actually do it. Instead of running at this frantic pace saying, I can't possibly take a Sabbath. You don't understand the responsibility. You don't understand the pressures that I face. We're believing a lie that things are on our shoulders. We're believing a lie. We are enslaving ourselves. We're going back to Egypt saying, you know what? That's the place that I'm most comfortable with. And that's gonna be a great temptation. Sabbath is gonna feel weird. It's gonna feel, it's not gonna feel normal at first. We are so used to just constantly being on the go, constantly defining ourselves by production. And so as we close here, hear this invitation that Jesus comes on the scene and he looks out over a weary and a broken world a couple thousand years ago, in the same way he looks at us right now, and he speaks these words. There's this invitation in Matthew 11. Jesus says this, "'Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, "'and I will give you rest. "'Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, "'for I am gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is the anti-Pharaoh. I mean, look at that language, gentle and lowly in heart. That's not Pharaoh. That's not those demands, whatever pressure you put on yourselves that you've got to produce, that you've got to go, that you've got to achieve, that you've got to prove, that you've got to keep up in the meritocracy that is our culture. Jesus looks at you with compassion right now and he's like, stop. Like you weren't meant to live this way. He's inviting you in to rest. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. That's all of us to varying degrees. And Sabbath is this invitation to realize that Jesus has secured the ultimate Sabbath for us, that Jesus is our rest, that every single person, we use this imagery of yoke, right? It's this image this, that you see there on, on the screen that hitches two animals one to another. Like every single person, you're yoked to something. You're yoked to expectations. You're yoked to shame. You're yoked to unhealthy emotions. You're you're yoked to expectations that you have. You're yoked to your career, to your finances. And those things will crush you. And Jesus comes along and says, everybody's gotta be yoked to something. You can either be yoked to those things that bring death, that enslave you, or you can be yoked to me. You can walk alongside me and know that he has carried the ultimate burden. That is what Christ has secured for you. When he went to the cross, he took the ultimate yoke of all of our sin, the weight of our, of our rebellion, everything that we deserve, we deserved hell. We deserved ultimate enslavement. And God says, I'm going to free you from that by giving you my son that Jesus willingly died. That he took that yoke upon himself. It's what happened on the cross. And now he comes to you and he says, come and rest. Spend time with me. Remember that your identity is not defined by what you produce and the things that you achieve. And so as I close in prayer, I wanna invite you to contemplate for a moment and we're gonna to continue to worship through song, but how will you respond? I put three things before you. I think there's a call to repent. There's a call to rejoice in the good news of the gospel and ultimately it's this invitation to rest. It's an invitation to rest all the time and then to carve out a particular 24-hour period, Sabbath. But there can be no resting without Repentance. And so as I close this in prayer, will you take a moment even just to examine your own heart, ask the spirit to examine, where have you yoked yourself to things that won't bring life? Where are you still living under the regime of a Pharaoh that says you've got to produce? Repent of that to turn in a new direction and rejoice in what Christ has offered for you, what Christ has done for you, what Christ has actually achieved. That's what we get to rest in. So we're gonna continue in worship, but let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your kindness and your grace toward us. Thank you that through your son, you invite us into this ultimate rest. Jesus, thank you that you have secured that, that you have earned that, that you were completely obedient, that you went to the cross and that you suffered and died in our place, that that was the yoke you took upon yourself so that we could have a yoke that is light and is easy, that there is no burden that we have to bear now. We don't have to carry the burden of our sin, of our shame, of our rebellion. We don't have to carry the burden of expectations we put on ourselves or other people. We don't have to carry the psychological burden, the emotional burden, the physical burden, like all of it, Jesus. We can lay at your feet. We can know that you have secured our ultimate rest. Spirit, lead us in a time of just a time of beautiful repentance 
for the times that we have not rested well, for the times that we've thought, I've got to power through. Spirit, I confess, God, I confess that that too often is the case for me, being distracted, thinking that things are on my shoulders, that I've got to carry it. I pray by the power of the Spirit that there would be conviction of sin and that there'd be a turning to where our ultimate rest is found. Help us to remember our identities are in Christ. Jesus, thank you that there's a new regime that we get to live under, that you are our Lord and our Savior. So as we continue now in worship through song, God, I pray you'd get your glory and that we as your people would experience a great joy and a great rest in the finished work of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.